Welcome to today's Coffee Talk from Planet Fair. As we do every week, we'll be talking for exactly eight minutes over a cup of coffee about the fastest ways to reach Planet Fair and, of course, to close gaps and pay fairly. And my name is Henrike von Platen and I'm online today with... I'm Margaret Bjarnatovic and we have a very special guest, Rafi, a consultant and data and product lead at Included. Um, and you're here because you do amazing diversity and inclusion work. And I know for a fact that you looked at some really super interesting data about the impact of the legislation in UK. So the kind of the reporting requirement um, in the UK. Yeah, that's right. So first, thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to talk about this. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> One of, one of the interesting things that happened a number of years ago now is that the UK government mandated that all companies greater than 250 people had to report their gender pay gaps. And they had specific ways in which that has to get calculated and how it gets reported. Here's the cool thing from my perspective as a person who works with data, all of that data is open source. So we're able to go in and see the different companies across the UK and what their gender pay gaps are. In the first year, what we decided to do was take all of these companies that are getting lauded for their gender equality, you know, the Catalyst Award winners, uh, Times Top 50 Places to Work for Women, Glassdoor Top 50 Companies, and see how are they doing on their gender pay gaps. And what we found is that across all of these companies that are being lauded for gender equality, most of them have salary gaps that are worse than the UK average. So for the Times Top 50 companies who work for women, for example, only 2%, which means one, only one company had a salary gap between men and women that was better than the UK average. When we get to Catalyst and, um, and the Glassdoor Top 50, it gets a little bit better, but only among the Glassdoor Top 50 companies, only 12% of them had salary gaps better than the UK average. And that seemed kind of ridiculous to us. And we wrote about it and we just said, you know, this is what the data is telling us. The next year, we looked at those companies again to try and see, have they gotten better? And lo and behold, a lot of them had. A lot of them had started to close those salary gaps. The problem was then we looked at the bonus gaps. And the bonus gaps had actually gotten worse by about the same amount that the salary gaps had gotten better. So what we found for most of these companies where their salary gaps were closing, they were just shifting those inequities in pay from, to, from something more regulated, salary, to something less regulated, bonus, where they could have a little bit more freedom to play with that. You think that happened in a way on purpose, like seeing, okay, now we have to report, we see we're looking bad, and now we shift it, because you said it like that? I think, I think it's possible, but I don't think the, the goal was we don't want to close our salary gaps. I think it was we need to close our salary gaps. And then there might have been a second conversation that people didn't put together that was like, we can't stop paying certain people what their salaries are. We can't cut people's pay. Yeah. And then other people thinking, well, we don't have the money to pay all of these people so much more. And so they came up with a solution that they thought would work. But then it turns out that it just kind of turned out that way. Um, I think it was probably a byproduct of a lot of separate conversations that led to an inconvenient outcome. 
Yeah. Do you know, um, I wanted to ask Margaret, just give him this number of what is the average that it costs to close the gap? What do we find is the average? Because it's so surprising and it would make it so easy if people would know that. So I think we are talking about two different things, right? Because when uh, Rafi mentions the salary gap, he's talking about the unadjusted pay gap. So just the difference in the averages, right? And what we, our conversation has been is really about kind of the equal pay gap. So the, you know, equal pay for equal work is a, is a different thing. Uh, but I find this super exciting. So I know they canceled the reporting due to COVID, but are there any new numbers out? Um, so... We don't have any new numbers yet, uh, just because things were delayed with COVID, as you said. Uh, but they, so the reporting deadline, which is normally in April, has been moved to October. So okay. we'll be getting some more numbers in in the next month or so, and then we'll be able to do some more analysis to hopefully see some improvement. Um, but I think one of the one of the big reasons I think it's so important to look at bonus gaps is just that. You know, when we look at salary gaps, which is different from equal pay for equal work, um, because it doesn't take into account, salary gaps don't always take into account number of hours worked and things like that. And there are reasons why that has a whole set of gender biases in them um, with, you know, uneven distribution of household labor and things like that. But normally when we're talking about salary gap here in the US, we often talk about women earning 77 cents on the dollar, or when you add in race into that, you know, it changes for Asian women. I think it's like 88 cents on the dollar, but for black women, it's 64 cents on the dollar. And for Hispanic women and Native American women, it goes down even more. But normally we're talking on the range of 13, 14, 15% salary gaps. When we talk about bonus gaps, we're seeing gaps of 40, 50, 60%. They're enormous. And often that might be because we think that not everybody gets bonuses. In fact, most people don't get a bonus or much of one. Right. And so they don't think it matters very much. But it turns out that if you're a leader or a manager in an organization, your bonus can sometimes account for much more than your salary actually does. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so critical to take into account the bonus gap as well. Yeah. So we would definitely need to talk with you again, I would say something like November after <laughs> those numbers are out. <laughs> that would be very cool. Yeah. See if that has changed. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen more and more often the, the moment that the, the, those people that actually decide on the bonus get to a point where they find out everybody should get the same. I have uh, like I have a hundred whatever currency and my hundred people get one each, full stop. And yeah. more and more people get into that the moment they start to think about fairness and how they can measure that and um, how they can measure the performance behind it or whatever. Do you see this movement of sort of making the mode, sort of changing the bonus systems? Yeah, um, slowly I've seen this <laughs> come. And I think you're right, because I think there, there are a few reasons. I mean, I think a lot of people think that bonus should be given based on performance. It should be based on how well people do at their job. That's the point of a bonus, to give them money, a little bit extra for doing a really good job. But there are a few problems with that. One is, like you said, how do you act to actually objectively measure performance? A lot of financial services firms that we've worked with have talked about how they measure performance based on how much money the, the person brings in. 
The problem with that is how much money you bring in is entirely dependent on what accounts you are put on, what, uh, what projects you are allocated. And those are not given equitably often. We, are, we see from the data that women, people of color, people with disabilities are often given lower value accounts than white, able-bodied, cisgendered men. And so that ends up skewing the bonus distribution as a result. So if your performance metrics are biased in the first place, your bonus bonuses are going to be just as unequitable. So in your work, how do you frame that conversation with your financial clients? And have you been able to steer the boat or change the direction of those firms? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, it depends a little bit. And I think, like I said, it's slow going with a lot of people, especially if it's a big firm, you know, mm -hmm. with a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of different if you're a global company across, you're working across cultures, across languages, across different contexts, um, that can be even more slow. But the idea is really that if your company is really a team, if you're a group together, if you want to create that, we're this one company, we are one culture, then everything you do as an individual contributes to that one company's goals. You all lift things together. Everybody plays an important and different role. And that's critical yeah. because yeah. if you didn't have those different roles, then the company wouldn't survive. And so that's why I think that giving equal bonuses to everybody, sharing the wealth equitably yeah. makes a lot more sense. Yeah. It's like a bonus from the company for the people that make the company go actually. Yeah, exactly. Function. exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I, I think that's sort of a perfect, ending word because i'm so sorry rafi you need to come back in november because our time this morning is over sounds great <laughs> thank you for coming you. and chatting with us yes. yeah thank you very much for the coffee time and see you again soon hopefully <laughs> bye bye bye, bye.